You are listening to the Through the Bible Studio Series with Pastor Nate Holdridge. Join us as we continue our study through the Old Testament book of Joshua. Here's Nate. The Old Testament book of Joshua is a powerful book. It's, of course, a book that is filled with war, three military campaigns specifically with 30-plus pagan armies. It records for us a seven-year conquest of the promised land. God had, of course, prepared a people for himself from Abraham and then Isaac and then Jacob. That people grew, of course, in their slavery and sojourn in Egypt. And that people then was set free from Egypt and given a governing law. So they had a governing law. They had directions, leadership. They had uh, the numbers. They had a covenant with God. The one thing that they did not have that God had promised to them originally was a land. And so here, the book of Joshua records for us the actual possessing of the land that God had promised to the people of Israel. This book is the first of 12 historical books in the Old Testament. And this book links the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament, with the rest of Israel's history nationally. We see how it began to come to pass that they began to live in the land of promise. Now, Joshua is going to be the central figure of this book. Uh, his, His name means Yahweh is salvation. It's interesting because he actually was named Hosea at first, which means salvation, but Moses changed his name to Yehoshua or Joshua, which means Yahweh is salvation, which is beautiful because In the Greek language, his name would be Jesus. And the angel, of course, announced to Joseph in Matthew 1, verse 21, that Mary would bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. In other words, Jesus' name is indicative of the salvation that he would win for his people. And Joshua, his name as well, is indicative of the victory or the salvation that he would bring for the people of Israel, of course, as an instrument in the hand of God. Now, probably Joshua is actually the author of this very book that bears his name, probably picking up the same tradition that Moses picked up as Moses wrote down the history and wrote the word of God. Joshua, with a deep respect for the word of God, more than likely actually wrote this himself as he went through the various stages and record of the victory that God gave to the nation of Israel. Now, the book begins in uh, with a beautiful conversation between God and Joshua. And really, it's a, it's a way for God to, at the beginning of this book, greatly, beautifully, wonderfully exhort Joshua to be a man of courage. He's here commissioned by God in this first chapter to lead the people of Israel into the promised land. And so many Christians throughout the years have turned to Joshua chapter one for courage and instruction and uh, sort of a pep talk from the living God 
to embrace the role that he has given to each one of us. It begins this way in verse 1 of chapter 1 by saying, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving them to the people of Israel. Now, there are a couple of things worth noting there in those first couple of verses. First of all, we just notice, of course, the natural flow of human life. After the death of Moses, we have this record. God says, frankly, Moses, my servant, is dead. In other words, the thing I'm attempting to highlight is that Moses had faithfully served the Lord for over 40 years now through the plagues, through the exodus, through the giving of the law, through the wilderness wanderings, through the construction of the tabernacle. He'd faithfully served the Lord, but he, of course, dies, but God is still alive and God's kingdom and God's people and God's work must still go on. And so Moses here, even though he dies, the work goes on. On. Now, another thing worth noting is the beautiful title that God gives to Moses. He refers to Moses as his servant, as his servant. And at the end of Joshua's life, Joshua would also be referred to as the servant of the Lord. But Three times here in this chapter and 13 times elsewhere in the book of Joshua, Moses is called the servant of the Lord. And of course, the question for each one of us is, would the Lord or will the Lord say this of us? Will we be known as servants of the Lord? But God speaks here at the beginning of this book to Joshua and tells him, now's the time. Rise, go over the Jordan River, cross the Jordan River, you and all the people with you into the land of promise that I am giving to them, to the people uh, of Israel. Now, I think it's important to mention in any study beginning the book of Joshua that Joshua did not have his beginning right here in Joshua chapter one. In fact, when you read the Pentateuch, you discover eight different moments that Joshua appears. And Joshua appeared and learned many things that became seemingly foundational for the role of leadership and great victory that God was going to win through him. One of the first times or the first time that you see Joshua is as a younger man when the people of Israel were exiting Egypt. And the Amalekites met them on in their departure from Egypt. And in Exodus 17, it records that the Amalekites came to snuff out the people of Israel. They came to fight with them. And cross-referencing scripture together with scripture, it appears that from Psalm 83 verse 4, the idea of the Amalekites was to wipe out the people of Israel as a nation and for Israel to be remembered no more. And then secondly, from Deuteronomy 25 verse 17 to 19, it appears that the way of attack was to find the faint people, the weary people, those who were lagging behind and to attack them first. 
and so sort of an underhanded kind of way to confront Israel uh, in the battle. And when they came out to fight against Israel, of course, Joshua was the man who led the forces into the battle against the Amalekites. And Moses went up to uh, top of a hill and held his hands up as a symbol, really, in one sense of prayer. And as long as Moses' hands were held high as he held the staff in the air, then the people of Israel, through Joshua, were given victory. But when his hands went down, they began to lose the fight or lose the battle. So... Aaron and Hur came and lifted up the hands of Moses so that his hands could be held high and victory was then given. Now, it was in that moment that God then promised that he would utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And so Joshua there in that moment in his life, he would learn a few powerful lessons. First of all, he'd learn that God cannot tolerate rebellion against his plan. The Amalekites saw and heard of the plagues that God had wrought there in Egypt. They would have known that the God of the universe was on the side of the people of Israel. They would have heard of this plan of God, but still in the midst of all of that, they wanted to snuff out the nation of Israel. And so God's anger was directed toward them at their rebellion against his obvious plan that he had revealed. Also, with Moses' hand held high, the victory coming, Joshua would have discovered in military battle that the power belongs not to the armies of God, but to God himself. In other words, not to the Israelites, but to God. And then Moses, of course, wrote this down. God said to Moses, write this as a memorial in a book. And Joshua would have discovered that the book is all important, the value of scripture. But on and on, you could go through the Old Testament before the book of Joshua and see the different moments that Joshua appeared. He was with Moses on Mount Sinai in Exodus 24, where he would have learned that God is real and that God is glorious. He was there when uh, coming down from the mountain, he heard the sound of the people of Israel worshiping the golden calf. He actually mistook it for the sound of war, but Moses knew that it was the sound of singing, and he would have watched Moses take the golden calf, throw the tablets to the ground, break them, and he would have watched Moses take the golden calf and burn it with fire and grind it to powder and scatter it on the water and make the people of Israel drink it. He would have learned a lesson there about the terribleness of sin amongst God's people, and he would have learned the lesson that there is a place for godly anger amongst God's people, especially God's leaders. He was there in Exodus 33 at the tent of meeting with Moses. It actually says that Moses would go in to speak with God face to face as a man speaks with his friend, but then Moses would return to the camp, but Joshua would not depart from the tent, Exodus 33 verse 11. He would learn there in those moments that God could guide and would guide his leaders and that God is a personal God, not just interested in them nationally, but interested in them individually. 
There was another moment in Numbers chapter 11 when Joshua appeared. It was a moment when through various means, the spirit of God was shared, not just with Moses, but with a surrounding group of elders and leaders in Israel. And two of them specifically remained in the camp, Eldad and Medad, and began to, by the power of the spirit, prophesy amongst the people. And Joshua actually went to Moses and said, hey, they're prophesying in the camp, sort of as a way of rebuke, and told Moses to stop them. And Moses said to him, are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. And there that day, Moses would have, or excuse me, Joshua would have come to understand that God's glory comes first and that the leader, Moses, was not there for his own self-glory, but was there exclusively for the glory of God. And if God's chose to spread his spirit out to other leaders, Moses would celebrate that reality. Of course, a, a famous moment in Joshua's life was when Moses sent the 12 spies into the promised land. And Joshua was, of course, one of the 12 spies that God had sent. And when they came back and brought a report, Joshua and Caleb gave a good report. They said, "We the land is good, it's beautiful, God delights in us. But of course, there were the 10 spies who sowed seeds of doubt in the hearts of the people. And the people went along with the 10 spies who were filled with no faith rather than the two who had faith. They believed the report that we are like grasshoppers in their sight. But Joshua, along with Caleb, it says in Numbers chapter 14, they tore their clothes and they disagreed. And because of that, because they took that stand, they were the two from that generation who did not die in the wilderness wanderings, but who were allowed to enter into the promised land. And so Joshua would have learned there in that moment that it is important to stand with God against the majority if need be. He would have seen the seriousness of the rebellion of God's people. That whole generation died. For for one thing you could say about Joshua's life is that for 40 years, he became a professional at attending funerals, person after person, going to the grave without entering into the promised land. Joshua would have seen in a very firsthand kind of way that God's people must not rebel against him and must have faith and trust in him. Of course, Joshua in Numbers 27, a seventh mention, is at his ordination, which was so God-ordained. God ordained him. God called for him. Numbers 27, verse 18 uh, to 23 tells us that the Lord said to Moses, and the Lord commanded him, and the Lord directed Moses. In other words, Joshua would have understood, my ordination has nothing to do with Moses, and it has everything to do with God. God ordains and God calls not man. And this would have been important for Joshua to understand and receive as he led the people of Israel. He was not there by vote. He was not there by committee. He was there by the sovereign hand and selection and calling of God upon his life. 
Then finally, the eighth appearance of Joshua there in the Pentateuch came in Deuteronomy 31, verse 1 through 11, when Moses gave his final word to the nation, when Moses died. And Moses uh, installed Joshua as the next leader. And some of the things that Joshua would have discovered at that moment is that it is God who goes before the people. It is God who continues to direct the people. Moses said, the Lord, your God himself will go over before you. He would understand that God would give the victory. And he would also understand the importance of the Bible, the word of God, the scripture, because Moses read it to the people and then commanded that every seven years, this law would be read nationally to the people of God. And so even at the time of Joshua, you have a book, you have the Bible that is uh, being written and recorded and read from to the people. And that book, of course, is growing and developing as Israel's history unfolds. But all of these elements in Joshua's life had prepared him for this moment that God would say to him, go over this Jordan you and all the people into the land that I'm giving them to the people of Israel. So here now in Joshua, God commands Joshua to take the people over into the promised land, a land that God says, I am giving to them. It was a progressive gift that God was going to give to the nation of Israel. Now, God in verse three gives Joshua a beautiful promise. He says, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses from the wilderness, Negev, desert in the south, and this Lebanon, the Lebanese mountains, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, Palestine, to the great sea, that's the Mediterranean, toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. Now, the beautiful thing here is that there is this already not yet experience in Joshua's life. God had said, I am giving it to them. And then he says, I've given it to you. In other words, you need to go get it, but it is actually positionally already yours. And that kind of concept is beautiful to the Christian because it reminds us of our sanctification experience. Paul tells us in Ephesians that we are, in Ephesians 2, currently seated with Christ in the heavenly places. In other words, we have in the mind and eyes and sight of God the full justification, sanctification, glorification process. We are fully like Christ and glorified in the mind and heart and sight of God. However, we now in this life, on this side of eternity, even though that is ours, we are to, Romans 6 verse 11, consider ourselves to be dead indeed to sin and alive to God, just like Jesus is. In other words, we are to enter into this process of giving our bodies over to the Lord and surrendering our members to him as living sacrifices and allowing him to systematically give us the victory that has already been won for us 
at the cross of Christ. And so he just announces, look, you have this victory, you have this land, it's for you, all this territory, it belongs to you. And of course, a question that might be asked is, God lays out for Joshua the extent of these borders is that we would say, well, how far do these boundaries go? Now, the land that they actually conquered and possessed in Joshua's time was much less than what was promised here or promised in Genesis 15. And even in the time of David and Solomon, when the land reached its greatest extent, even the outlying districts were only within Israel's sphere of influence. So uh, it doesn't seem that they have ever fully possessed everything that God promised for them. Personally, I believe that the prophets have declared a time is coming where Christ will return and he will regather the Jewish nation and reign in the land over a converted and redeemed Israel and that full possession of all that God promised for them will occur at that moment and at that time. But here, God announces to Joshua this huge promise of what he's giving to them. Then he says to him in verse 5, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give to them. Here, God begins to make a beautiful promise to Joshua. He announces to him, no one will be able to stand before you. No man will be able to stand stand before you. Now, the Canaanite people were a warrior people, and uh, they lived in a harsh and sometimes mountainous territory. And Joshua was going to have to lead a fairly untrained army into this land to interact and face in war those people. And so for God to say, no one will stand before you. The secret, of course, of all of this, how could he have such success? He says, I will be with you and I will not leave you or forsake you. In other words, I will not drop you. I will not abandon you. I will keep my promises and I will be with you. Now, this was the secret of Moses' success, and it would be the secret of Joshua's success. And it is, of course, the secret of the church's success as well. Jesus said, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He is with us by the presence, personally, and the power, corporately, of his Holy Spirit upon us as the church. We must not forget the power of God. Our great resource is God himself. He's the one who resides within us. He is the one who calls and draws a human being. He's the one who convinces their heart. He's the one who convicts them of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. He is the one who helps a person live obediently before the Lord. It's not about our information. It's not about our teaching or our instruction. These are things that are helpful. But unless the Spirit of God is involved in using those elements as mere weapons in his hands, it will be all for naught. The Lord must go before us, and he promises that he will. 
I will be with you, he says to Joshua, and he says this as well to his church in the Great Commission. I will not leave you, he announces to this man. Now, he tells him to be strong and courageous as a result. Three times, God is going to tell Joshua to be strong and courageous. And the people will then reaffirm it later and say, "You, Joshua, be strong and courageous. And perhaps he has to emphasize courage because Joshua is experiencing some intimidation. This is a huge role. He's taking over for Moses. He's leading a nation of people that is God's nation of people. And so God repeats, verse 7, only be strong and very courageous being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. And so God announces to Joshua, listen, part of being strong and courageous for you means that you must be careful to do and apply and speak the law of Moses, the book of the law. So the emphasis that God has here is that there is a written body of truth. Some people think that the Bible wasn't written till much later, but in Joshua's time, there was a known written body of truth. And Joshua's entire life demonstrates in a practical way that he lived according to the teachings of the law of Moses. He took the word of God that he had and it would not depart from his mouth. He would cling to the word of God and he would actually mutter it to himself. It would not depart from his mouth. He would be thinking about the word of God constantly. God then says, verse 9, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And so all of these commissions that God is giving to Joshua would help him to know that I have the presence of God and I have the word of God. And these, of course, are the great weapons of modern believers. We have the spirit of God and we have the word of God. Now, the people who would read this book originally would be encouraged. The land is ours. God is with us as we walk with him. If we stick to his word, he will be with us. He will fight for us. He will give us the victory. Now, verse 10 tells us that Joshua commanded the officers of the people. And here's what he told them. Pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions for within three days. You're to pass over this Jordan to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. So here we see that they're organized enough to have officers and he speaks to the officers and gives them some directions. He begins to lead right away at this moment. And the Reubenites, the Gadites and the half tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said to them, so now no longer just the officers, but these other tribes and these Two and a half tribes, the Reubenites, Gadites, and the half tribe of Manasseh, uh, they had made a deal that God had sanctioned with Moses 
to send their military men, fighting men, with Joshua across the Jordan to help take the promised land, but that their wives and their children and people who are men who are not of fighting age would stay behind on the other side of the Jordan River and occupy that part of the land. We call them the Transjordanian people. They lived on the other side of the Jordan River. But Joshua commanded them and said, remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, the Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you. And they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it. The land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise, so toward the east. So he's giving them a great theme here, the theme of rest. He's saying, look, you'll rest over there, but not until you come over here and you war with us. And they, verse 16, answered Joshua, all that you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. And whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you command him, shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. So here they basically repeat the promise and the exhortation of God and say, God is with you. Be strong and courageous. And oh, how good it is when we remind one another, be strong. God is with you. As you walk in step with him, as you stick to his word, as you obey him, he is with you and he will fight on your behalf. Have that strongly and firmly placed within your mind and your heart. God bless you. Thank you for listening. For additional resources and teachings, or to contact us, please visit us at nateoldridge.com.